0: Thank you, Bob, for teaching last week. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. I should have given you this lesson on sex, and I would have done the one on food. I guess I wasn't planning far enough ahead, I guess. Talk about a lesson that's hard to prepare for an audience that's older than I am, so. <laughs> You all know more than I do. Um, we're continuing the study in this book, God's at War. Um, last week we began a um, study on the, the section, the Temple of Pleasure. And um, I listened to the, the lesson that Bob did and thought he did a, a very good job of covering uh, the, the God of food and how that that can be um, a temptation for us to uh, put food in a higher place than it should be. And so uh, tonight we're going to look at the God of uh, sexual pleasure. And so we're going to to start out, uh, hopefully I'm not telling you anything new, that sex is good. Uh, It's a gift from God himself, and it was his idea uh, from the beginning Uh, To create sex, Um, it could have, um, if it's done his way, it creates a supernatural bond between spouses. And um, even at the creation of humanity, in Genesis, the second chapter, it says that God arranged it so that a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. But sex is not just for um, procreation or pleasure. It's it's a unique uh, gift that God brings to us. that brings both pleasure and intimacy, and of course, it does produce children in accordance with God's plan. He could have made um, reproduction a simple thing, um, joyless act of natural instinct, but. He's a God that that loves us and wants things to be pleasurable for us. That way he he made food with different tastes, different textures so we're able to enjoy it and have pleasure in our eating. It's not just for nutrition. And sex is the same way. Um, It was made to to be pleasurable. Um, I, I I was thinking I was preparing this. I'm glad he didn't choose the The model for human sexuality like the praying mantis or the black widow (laughs) that doesn't turn out so well for the guy Um, or like a bacteria where it's completely asexual it just happens or maybe even a starfish where you tear off one of its arms and throw it back in the water and next thing you know it grows another starfish so God gave us uh, a sex as a pleasurable activity uh, to unite us and draw us close together as, as husband and wife. All of God's gifts point us back to him, or at least they should point us back to him. Um, the gift should cause us to love the gift to love and worship the giver even more deeply. But it seems like it's all too easily that God's gifts to us end up being his greatest competition. Some of the richest, most beautiful gifts from God are often the same gifts that are twisted into hideous and destructive idols. And as we saw last week with food, um, when it's put in a wrong place, it becomes something that uh, destroys our health um, causes a lot of diseases and things like that uh, sex can be the same way it can destroy relationships and marriages if it's not done uh, according to God's plan imagine if you will um, I want to say it's hypothetical but it's probably not as hypothetical as, as I, I would like uh, but imagine giving your child a gift and something that they'd really been wanting and it might be a new computer or a new toy or or even if they're older maybe a new car and the excitement that you see in their face makes it, hey this is worth it I'm, I'm really glad they, I gave them this gift but before you know it they've, they've taken the car and they've they're never at home. They're always gone somewhere else. Um, or the computer, they're, they're always sitting there typing on the computer, and they're not interacting with the family or, or being with the family. And eventually, like, you know, this car you got, I mean, it's not the best. My friends have better cars than this. And they become dissatisfied with what you've given them. Does that ever happen? Do we see that something? Never does. Because we are perfect people. But does that happen sometimes with the gifts that God gives to us? It's easy to point to other people and say, yeah, those kids, they don't know any better. But when it's it's the gift that God gives to us and we, we take it and we use it for to draw us away from God, it becomes more important than God himself. Just like the gift to the child becomes more important than the parent that gave them the gift, and things are are put out of order. So not only do you not see your child as much anymore, but now all of a sudden they're discontent, they're less happy than they were before you gave them the gift. And you wonder, how can this go so wrong? And again, it's, it's when the gift gets put in the wrong order and it was not meant to be the thing in itself. It was the love that presented the gift and gave it to the child. And this is what happens when God has to compete with his own blessings, Sex is beautiful until it loses its spiritual context. Food and other forms of pleasure are wonderful until they become ends in themselves. They become gods, the gods become tyrants, and the tyrants become slave masters. The story I wanted us to read uh, tonight is found in 2 Samuel 13, if you want to turn there. This is a story of a prince and princess that Disney will probably never make a movie of. Amnon and Tamar. Anybody remember that story? We'll read the first 15 verses of, this, of chapter 13 of second Samuel In the course of time Amnon son of David fell in love with Tamar the beautiful sister of Absalom son of David Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her Now Amnon had a friend named Jonadab son of Shimei David's brother I pray that nobody has a friend like Jonadab in here. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see Amnon, to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his side, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her with more hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, Get up and get out. It's a tough story to listen to. So what what happened in this story? Okay. He was in lust with her. So what what did what kind of led to this? He wanted what he couldn't have. Okay. He wanted what he couldn't have. no self-control, and he dwelt on it. Did you pick up that? I mean, he obsessed over it until he was sick. And that can, when we think about that, when we think about this story, it's like, that would never happen to anybody in this this day and age. But yet when we dwell on things that are not right, eventually our mind, talks us into doing those things when something good becomes a god the pleasure it brings dies in the process pleasure has this unique trait the more intensely you chase it the less likely you are to catch it philosophers call this the hedonistic paradox the idea is that pleasure pursued for its own sake evaporates before our eyes I'd never heard of the hedonistic paradox, so I had to look it up, and it's a real thing. (laughs) Um, The God of sexual pleasure promises you intense and incredible satisfaction as you read the magazines and surf the websites. As you keep going a little further with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you obsess over what it would be like to give into your desire to grab that moment of ecstasy. But what happens? The God delivers the opposite of what's promised. Instead of satisfaction, you experience emptiness and an almost immediate hunger for something more. Instead of closeness and intimacy, you experience a strange sense of loneliness. As I was thinking about this, rather than use examples of sex, I'm going to use examples of food Uh, going back to Bob's lesson last week, have you ever had a meal or something that just looks so good and you eat and eat and eat and then all of a sudden it's like has no luster for you? I remember when I was a teenager um, we had a, the company I worked, uh, mine I worked for had a company picnic and they had all kinds of burgers and hot dogs and stuff but they had the thing I remembered was they had uh, soda pop. I mean, all, I mean, everything you can imagine. And just horse, horse tanks full of it with ice. And you just drink all you wanted. And that was not something that I had very much access to. So I thought, man, I'm going to drink me some soda pop. And after about four cans of it, <laughs> it was like I'm dying of thirst, but the soda is not quenching my thirst. I mean, it was, it was the kind of a sick feeling. No, it was a really a sick feeling, not kind of. Um, but that was an example I, I thought of of my own personal experience where you give into something that that holds this gleam in your eye, and you're like, man, I can have all I want. And as it turns out, all I wanted was really not that much. When the gift replaces the giver as the object of our worship, something surprising happens. When we begin to worship the God of pleasure instead of the God who gave it to us, we discover that the pleasure is lost. We discover that the devastating paradox that when we pursue pleasure as a God, the pleasure disappears. When we worship sex as a God, we find that it leads to the exact opposite of its divine design as a gift. As a gift, it brings connection. As a God, it brings loneliness. As a gift, it brings pleasure. As a God, it leads to emptiness. As a gift, it brings satisfaction. As a God, it demands slavery. As a gift, it brings intimacy. As a God, it causes separation As a gift, it brings unity. As a God, it often causes divorce. It's a beautiful gift and a tyrant of a God. A story he relates in the book, um, his daughter wanted a pet. And so the only pet he would allow was a goldfish. And so it was one that didn't shed or bark or meow. So (laughs) it was easy to take care of. He said you couldn't do much with it you couldn't pet it or take it for a walk but you could take it swimming and so as the story goes they took the goldfish to the pool with them and it was in a, a glass of water sitting by the side of the pool while they're swimming and his daughter wanted the goldfish to get in the water with them and swim and he explained that that would not be a good idea and so they went on swimming and Eventually, as the story goes, the goldfish jumped out of the glass of water and flopped into the pool. And he realized it, and so he looks in the pool trying to find it, and he said the goldfish is there in the deep end just zipping back and forth and having a big time because he was in what must have seemed like the ocean to him. I mean, lots of water, no restrictions. But he tried to catch the goldfish and save it from what would turn out to be not a good situation for the goldfish, but he says it's harder to catch a goldfish in a pool than you think. <laughs> and so he waited it out, and the goldfish started swimming slower and slower, and finally it floated to the surface, belly up. And so this, what he's trying to get through with that story is that the, the glass sitting there was such a little bit of water and the pool was so big and that glass was so restrictive and the pool offered freedom and was just vast and enticing. And at first when the goldfish flopped in the water, it felt so good to be in the open water swimming around. But at the end, he was in poison to him and that's, that was his demise. The restriction turned out to be a loving thing and freedom really meant destruction. And that's kind of how the God of pleasure works, isn't it? He promises freedom and joy and as soon as you take the plunge, it's toxic. And so often that's where we end up. I mean, we think about who likes to wear their seatbelts? Not me. But... It's there to, to help me, to keep me safe. Um, traffic lights. I complain every time I have to stop at one. But the good thing is, the other people have to stop when I go. So it's something that gives, gives us security and safety. And when we worship God with all our lives, we experience what we really wanted all along, and that's deep and intimate pleasure. I keep going back to this verse um, because it really is a key to, to this whole study of God's at war. And it's Proverbs 4:23: "Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it." And this battle that we're talking about here of sexual uh, intimacy, is a battle that must be fought in our minds. Um, in 2 Corinthians 10.5 it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and I think that's that's where the battle begins it's not um, I'm having a problem here so just stop it Okay, that's easy for you to say, maybe hard for me to do. So I'd like to ask some questions as we examine ourselves. Uh, some I'll ask for responses to others. Uh, I'll just let you think about them for a little bit. How well do you control your thought life? Oh, how well. (laughs) Well, think about it and respond. Um, I'll start us off with a couple of verses here. Uh, Philippians 4, um, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So so that's an important verse, I think, that we can rely on. The peace of God that transcends understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then, So I'll ask the question again. How well do you control your thought life? Do you, have you ever seen a picture of something, good or bad, but you couldn't get it out of your mind? Have you ever watched a movie and think, hmm, I wish I hadn't seen that? For me, it was the deer hunter. (laughs) But once that's in there, it's stuck in there. So I feel like my job is to kind of try to be wise in what I allow in. So do you have trouble with that? Songs are some of the worst ones. Yep. Even a song that's not bad it's like get out of there. I don't want to I don't want to think about puff the magic dragon all day long. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that's how easy it happens, isn't it? Yeah.
1: But this is what faith does. He keeps putting these thoughts back in. I keep shoving them out, and he keeps putting them back in. And it can be any time of the day, and you can dream about stuff, whatever. And it just is Right. Even though you don't want it. Yep.
0: The book talks about, and I hadn't planned on talking about this, but it talks about developing neural pathways so it's kind of a psychological study but when you see stuff it builds thought patterns in your brain and and it talks about when people view pornography or when they view um, inappropriate pictures you're building these pathways and that's why it's so dangerous for young people to watch that because once those are there, they're nigh to impossible to break. And so that's, I think, something that, that we need to always be aware of um, when, we, when we set down to view something. Is this something that is lovely? Is it pure? <laughs> is it admirable? Can we go through this list? Is, is this something that I want to allow into my head? Because once it's there, it doesn't go away. At least not easily. Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So again, how well do you control your thought life? And When we're studying this, God's at war and the battle is for our hearts. And what we put in our hearts is who we become. What we put in our mind. And so, I can't, I don't think I can emphasize enough how important it is. Uh, Keep going back to, Philippians, is it in the list? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Because those are the things that we need to be thinking about. Because if we don't, the God, gods that we're fighting against are going to take a foothold in our lives, and in our minds. And that's, that's where we cause ourselves a lot of trouble. Yes, ma'am.
1: One thing that the battle is for all of us is if we're living in the world, but your mind can only think one thought at one time. So when you get that thought and you're using that fun line, uh, that you make a choice at that point to say, "Okay, what do I do with this thought?" And I'm gonna, I'm gonna dismiss it and think on this thing. You just have to keep constantly making choices. If your heart, like you say, is the battles for your heart. But there's, I had this verse put up on our TVs uh, in Psalm 101. It says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. It shall not fasten its grip on me. And, and just those, those constant things help you to battle that with, uh, you know, with God when you're asking God to give you the strength to replace those thoughts that you know is not... Right. Not pure.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Steve?
2: Are you going to mention people here? The reason I say that is going back to with Tamar and Amnon. If he hadn't had Jonadab give him the idea, he might never have done what he did, and kept himself out of that. And the second part of that is, his dad, Deuteronomy 17, 17, told the kings, don't have a bunch of wives. Instead, he had a bunch of wives and in essence kind of set up an environment which
0: unfortunately was evil. Right. Yeah, David probably wasn't the best role model for relationships with other women. Yeah. Well, here's an easier question then. What sites do you visit on the internet when you're by yourself? Please don't answer that one. (laughs) What might be lacking in your intimacy with God? Who who is God to you? I mean, is he somebody that can save you from these things, or are we just kind of doomed? When temptations come, where do you go? But these are these are things that I think in, are important for us to think about. Because First of all, if um, if we're trying to throw down these idols that are in our lives, it's not enough just to say, uh, God of food, be gone. God of sexual pleasure, be gone. Because we're going to pick something up and put it in the place of the God that's thrown out. And so our challenge is to replace that with the Lord God and look at the giver of the good gifts that we have and that we enjoy and worship him and praise him and thank him for those gifts. And when we do that, the pleasure remains for us. If we chase the gift as an end in itself, the pleasure goes away. Um, I want to finish out tonight... Um, Hopefully, with some things that will help us uh, help us in overthrowing these gods of pleasure. And I'm going to call it just a big general word: fasting. Does anybody in here fast on a regular basis from food, from entertainment, from internet? From sex, seven. yeah. <laughs> um, in Matthew five or Matthew six, um, verse sixteen says, "When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting." Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So so if you fast, no, when you fast, sounds like it's something that's expected, doesn't it? Um, I see a lot of people they take a, a fast from Facebook what's the first thing they do? Announce, every, announce it to everybody I'm going to be off Facebook for six months or whatever is that how fasting works? <laughs> I mean, th- this this concept really is going to encompass everything that we talk about in this the temple of pleasure Uh, whether it's food whether it's sex whether it's entertainment whatever it is if it's something that is drawing your heart away from god or, or maybe you're just wondering if it is take a fast from it and you'll find out really quick um last week and Bob I, I so appreciate you bringing this up last week because it was something that that I definitely see as an an important thing for us to do and if you've not fasted to consider it I mean if it's just one meal um, I think it's good that we can say okay God and it's not okay I'm putting away food I'm going to go uh, get on Facebook and spend my time there it's I'm I'm off food, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to f- uh, meditate. I'm going to focus on God uh, for that for the length of that of time that I'm hungry. And with with fasting from food, um, whenever you have that hunger pain, and for the first three days, trust me, there will be lots of hunger pains. But when you experience those and you go to God in prayer, it deepens your relationship with God because you have taken food off the throne of your heart and then you're putting God on the throne of your heart and recognizing him as the giver of good things. And because I'm not experiencing the goodness right now, I praise you, God, because thats you are the giver of all good things. Um, and Satan... He takes notice when you do that. Has anybody fasted from food for more than a day? You never notice how many commercials are about food on TV until you're fasting. It's like every one of them. It's like this big juicy cheeseburger dripping with cheese. and But that's all you see. And... And I think Satan uses that opportunity to test us. He did with Jesus, so why wouldn't he do it with us? Um, We had dinner the other night with a new family here, and the wife had chosen for Lent to give up sweets. Well, as so happens, Jana brings a chocolate eclair cake, and she's like, oh, that's my favorite. But she didn't eat any of it. God or Satan knows what we like and what's going to hurt us the most, and that's where he he tries uh, to tempt us. That's where the temptation comes in. If you've not if you've not fasted from food, I would suggest you try it. Uh, make sure that you're healthy enough to do that. And all I don't want to be responsible for anybody dying for doing something they shouldn't have. Um, But some things you can fast from that's not going to kill you, you may think it will, is social media. Or just internet in general. Just get off of it. For one thing, you waste a lot more time than you think on that stuff. Um, I've noticed that, well, for one thing, uh, Jack and I were in Mexico this last week, and there is no internet it was wonderful, and but we got a lot of work done. Eight guys built two houses in four days. And so when you're not distracted by things, you can get a lot of work done. But also, take that as an opportunity to recognize God as a giver of our time, as a giver of the things that we we have and the ability and the talents that we have to do things and not waste those on living vicariously through people that only post the, post the good stuff that goes on in their lives and I would say even sex is something that we, might not hurt us to do a fast from periodically it's what 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 has got a grip on me that I might be holding on and putting above God in my life. And when, we've, when we go on a fast on something like that, we find out pretty soon uh, how important something is to us. 1 Corinthians 7, um, Paul says, Now for the matter's You wrote about it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession not as a command. So I think Paul is giving giving an example here that first of all there is a context that God gives where sex is good. And right and should be enjoyed but also there might come a time where we can agree as husband and wife let's take a break and do what pray okay it's not just take a break and look at porn or take a break and do something else it's take a break and pray and so I think that's once again, we have, a, we have scripture that admonishes us to do that. And so I would, I would look at this lesson as one um, on how we can use or how we can recognize God as the giver of the good gifts that we have and that we can take a break from those gifts, fast from them, so to speak, and worship God, pray to him, recognize his sovereignty, his good goodness in giving the things to us so that we can live lives of holiness and be close, closer to God uh, for having um, followed his will. Yeah. Okay. So, so what Bob says is that we can, in addition to, to praying and meditating, that we can read scripture. Uh, as part of what we fill ourselves with during these fasts that we take. And so, I'm just pointing out the script what the Scripture says that we should do. And I know everybody's situation is different, and Scripture doesn't get into minutiae. It just tells us, uh, here's what to do. And I think that's because we are so prone to worship the wrong thing. And if we take that away and worship God, uh, everything flows back into the spot where it should be. Anything else? Well, I'm done. So unless somebody wants to give up and give a personal testimonial right now, that's, we'll call it good. <laughs> no? Nobody? Okay. Oh, Richard wants to. <laughs>
2: So I'm reminded of uh, a skit that the York crew did uh, during one of the Soquel shows. The, the York youth things, and it, it was a guy, a bunch of guys, trying to stay focused on Jesus. So they go, "Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus, focus on the El Camino. Focus, focus on Jesus. Focus, focus on the girls. Focus on Jesus." And at the end, they say, "Where's your focus?" And so. That's just what we have to do is
0: don't let the squirrels or the girls or anything else (laughs) (laughs) distract you. Stay
2: focused.
0: Yeah, okay. Stay focused. (laughs) All right, thank you all. Oh, Benita. About 10 years ago, I was in Zambia for Women's Ladies Day
2: and I was teaching these um, college kids. And the intent, well, I put a Board up, and I put sex on there and I asked him to say what's the first word that comes to their mind and it was AIDS and death and sin and a whole lot of negative words and when I talked to them about Genesis 1 how when God made sex he said it was good very good that Satan had taken this very good thing and made it death and I think one of the things that you're saying is our, we should reclaim the goodness of it. And that doesn't, and it, it's not the point of don't think about it, don't do it, whatever. It's reclaim the goodness that God meant it for it to be, to focus on the positive and how we can bring, bring something that He made very good and take it away from Satan and how He's made it. Yeah.
0: Very good. Thank you all.
2: Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the East Side Church of Christ